Kim Hyson's Animal Obsessions. E. Tammy Kim. Last fall, when I was living in South Korea, a woman in Seoul was killed by her stalker, a co-worker, in the bathroom of a subway station. A friend and I went to see an informal memorial dedicated to the victim. We read piles of notes left by strangers, stop femicide. Your death is my death. The government, the courts, our culture of discrimination are guilty of murder. The scene of the crime and the shape of the commemoration recalled another murder from 2016 which had sparked Korea's version of the hashtag MeToo movement. Whatever remained of that feminist upsurge now felt eclipsed by widespread backlash. In 2022, a new president had been elected on a platform of unreserved misogyny. I went from the memorial to a bookstore and bought Kim Hyson's most recent poetry collection, After Earth Dies, Who Will Moon Orbit, which was inspired by her mother's passing. Mom, don't read this book. It's all sand, the dedication says. The poems include bloody dramas, familial and cosmic, set in the space of the kitchen. It felt appropriate to read Kim in that moment, not as a manual for processing grief, but as an extended fantasia of feminine rage. Kim is 67 years old and going on her fifth decade as a poet in the public eye. She has published more than a dozen books of poetry and of unclassifiable texts, with titles such as I Do Woman Animal Asia, and won every major literary award in South Korea. Since her debut, in 1979, in Literature and Intellect, a journal founded during the country's authoritarian period, she has been at the frothy crest of many artistic and political waves. In her first career, as an editor under the dictator Park Chung-hee, she had to tell a Marxist economist, on his deathbed, that his book had not survived the censor's redactions and would not be published. She later, wrote, behind his thin, wrinkly glasses, his tears flowed down to his ears. In the mid-80s, she joined Another Culture, a pioneering feminist group that convened educational camps for kids, critiqued patriarchal norms in books such as Equal Parents, Free Children, and translated women from other countries, including the Indonesian poet Sujiyarti Siswati. We were finding a Korean language for feminism. Kim told me. In her second career, as a professor at the Seoul Institute of the Arts, she helped revive an interest in shamanism and other genocentric folk traditions. Once, she followed an anthropologist friend to Empty Hala, on Jeju Island, to commemorate a shaman's death in a days-long cut ritual of singing and ecstatic dancing. Poetry in Korea has been a vaunted form and traditionally left to men. Kim broke away from the masculine styles that came before her, which tended to be either self-consciously political or pure and detached from the world. She smashed words together and savagely enjammed her lines. She ripped apart syllable blocks and turned the letters of Hangul into raw material for typographic play, Mers dusting Ermselefengod. Salavadrop explodes like Freon gas. Slash. Do you know all the dearest gods that are hanging onto our limbs? She wrote about women's bodies, in all their guts and gore. Women poets start out writing like men, Kim told me. Feminism isn't something you're born believing. Feminism is going through life and changing yourself. Into write as a woman, lover, patient, poet, and you, a book of essays, Kim connects the experience of the woman poet to Princess Bari, a Korean folk heroine who remains loyal to her parents even after they've abandoned her. To be lost or left behind, or to disappear, is at the core of being a female artist, Kim argues. 
In Korea, the book became something like Helen Sixus's The Laugh of the Medusa or a less practical version of Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. It was reissued last year, on its 20th anniversary, and is being translated into English. Kim has pursued a vernacular that's intensely Korean yet open to the world. She reads widely in translation and hosts obscure Catholic nuns, the Tibetan sages, Adrian Rich, Sylvia Plath, Simone de Beauvoir, and Agnes Varda in the back of her head. About 15 years ago, when her own work began to be translated, she attracted a following across North America and Europe. She grew especially close to her English translator, the MacArthur Award-winning poet Don Mi Choi. In 2019, the English version of Kim's Autobiography of Death won the International Griffin Poetry Prize. The book is structured as a 49-day Buddhist mourning ceremony for hundreds of teenagers who drowned when a Korean ferry capsized five years earlier, perhaps a doll, perhaps a human, perhaps you, perhaps me, she writes on day 44. Kim's latest translated work, Phantom Pain Wings, came out in May. These two volumes are the first and second of what Kim calls her death trilogy. The book I bought in Seoul, After Earth Dies, Who Will Moon Orbit, is the final installment. I don't think I've ever comforted anyone with my writing, Kim notes in an afterword to Phantom Pain Wings. Perhaps literature crosses into a zone where consolation can't intervene. What zone does Kim occupy? She has modeled an approach to language and the writing life for dozens of poets and other artists in Korea and in the diaspora. In 2019, her writing on Princess Bari inspired Community of Parting, a video installation by Jane Jean Kaysen, a Danish-Korean adoptee who represented the Korean pavilion at the Venice Biennale. A suite of poems titled Community of Parting is the centerpiece of Phantom Pain Wings. A former student of Kim's, Yuhi Kyun, runs a poetry bookshop called Wit and Cynical in Seoul's Haiwa district, which became a center of the hashtag MeToo protests. When that movement got started, you told a reporter that Kim's autobiography of death was a top seller. Since retiring from her job as a professor in early 2021, Kim has kept mostly to her apartment in Seoul's Dihakuro neighborhood, beset by undiagnosed nerve pain, which she interprets as a chronic female ailment and insomnia. At night, she goes between her bedroom and her study, lying down and failing to sleep. She reads old novels all the way through, recently, she was back on Clarice Lispector, a favorite, and new fiction until it bores her, it isn't very good. She watches competitive singing shows on television, answers emails from three continents, and drafts stanzas longhand. Several times last year, I caught up with her in periods of good health. One afternoon, she intercepted me at a subway stop near her home. She lives with her husband, the avant-garde playwright Lee Kongbeck, and their daughter, Phi J. Lee, whose raucous line drawings and sculptures adorn many of Kim's books. Kim was unmistakable, even in a face mask, jet black, bowl-cut hair, architectural glasses, scarf, billowy pants, and platform sneakers. We were repeat patrons of Gupa Noodle, an old-fashioned restaurant that specializes in batter-fried squid and rice noodles in anchovy broth. We ordered Macchiali rice wine, which she barely touched and I ended up drinking alone. Kim speaks at an unhurried pace and in a soft rasp. She told a tragicomic story about traveling with an incurable melancholic, a Debbie Downer type who saw only pebbles, never pearls. Laughing and eating with Kim, I felt an alien-like attentiveness to my own body. 
I considered the peristalsis working noodles down my throat and the purple-blue blood racing back to my heart. My bones are hollow like a flute slash so every one of them can sing and whistle. The achy root has spread between the intestines like lightning. I suspected that she noticed all this somatic activity in herself and, possibly, in me. For Kim, poetry is dancing, being a nameless animal, crossing the river of the grotesque, making a revolution in the realm of language, and a verb. She has long concerned herself with animals, human and non-human. The collection, Poor Love Machine, is filled with rats and felines. Sara Toothpaste Mirror Cream contains a gray bear, fire ants, roe deer, an ostrich, a rabbit, and a duck. Her pig poems are among her most famous and controversial. Bodies filled with filthy water. Pigs oink oink in the sty. Why, they all look alike. A girl goes dancing after sorting her family's trash. Oh, that fantastic sewer daddy hit me. Oh, that water-filled jar mommy abandoned me. Daddy pig eats numbers and buttocks dangle from the cheeks of mommy pig. This poem, I'm okay, I'm pig, appeared in her 2016 collection, Bloom, Pig. The following year, the book won the 5.18 Literature Award, named after the Gwangju Uprising of May, 1980, when South Korean soldiers, commanded by President Chun Doo-hwan and backed by the U.S., killed democracy activists. On Facebook, male critics slammed Kim as undeserving of the honor, her use of surrealism and visceral animal metaphors were an insult to the democracy movement, they said. It seemed like a clear case of jealousy or gendered territoriality, but Kim was forced to turn down the prize and a much-needed cash award. Her brute force poetry, what one critic called the female grotesque, was at once career-making and costly. To my ears, in English, it recalls the work of Lynn Higinian, the baby is scrubbed everywhere, he is an apple, and Don Lundy Martin, awareness of being in a female body is a tinge of regret. Kim's new translated work, Phantom Pain Wings, is heavy with birds and verbs. It's an I Do Bird sequence, Kim writes. As the second book in her death trilogy, it responds to the loss of her father and the traumas of his generation, colonization, war, and economic development at all costs. Daddy, in the room where you died slash I become bird, she writes. The address sounds tame in English, in the hierarchical ordering of Korean, it's a crass impossibility. In Korea, you can't call your father you or other, but, in this book, I call my father daddy and you, she told me. It's my way of bringing myself and other women to an equal level with the father as an institution, mechanism, and authority. Kim envisions this rebellion as a bird flapping its wings in flight. Translation has a peculiar capacity to reframe an artist's oeuvre, an old work becomes new in another language and time. Phantom Pain Wings Was published in Korea, in 2019, its English version took shape during the pandemic. I visited Kim's translator, Choi, in 2021 at her home in North Seattle. Her desk was taken up by a large computer monitor for working in two languages, side by side, and thick Korean and English dictionaries. I pictured her sitting there, bird-watching through the window, as she mastered Kim's ornithology. Choi kept a diary, which serves as a translator's note at the back of the finished book. February 2nd. KH sent a large box of KF94 masks.
February 4th. A nuthatch has returned. Choi told me, not only was this book difficult to translate, but I felt a great deal of grief myself while translating. It's not only about her father. In that long poem, Community of Parting, she's also addressing the source of her sorrow, and it goes all the way back to the Korean War. A 20th century war, a 21st century pandemic, overlapping eras of mass death. There's also a poem eerily relevant to, post-Roe America, called Abortion Boat. It features Varda's film, One Sings, The Other Doesn't, from 1977, about two friends in France who must travel abroad, one to Switzerland, and one to Amsterdam, to get abortions. The speaker of the poem is in, or next to, a tunnel, the Dutch canals, the birth canal, and the tubular branches of a tree. As I run, the tunnel runs beside me like a dog. The tunnel cries and follows me, becoming very long. The woman who just had an abortion but still has a baby runs. When she exits the tunnel, her baby comes out. But when she enters the tunnel her baby sticks to her again. Kim has described her process with Choi as one of exchange. I don't edit her translations, Kim told me. I answer her questions. Translating poetry is the hardest thing in the world. For phantom pain wings. Choi asked more than usual about subjects and objects. The syntax of Hangul leaves much unsaid, subjects are implied, pronouns are rare. Verbs, though, especially in Kim, are abundant. Choi's inferences weren't enough. Who is doing the thing, and to whom was the thing being done? January 22nd Grief guitar, once again, I wasn't clear about who the speaking subject was when KH used equals each other and equals we slash R. She explained that the guitarist is referring to his, her guitar as equals you. Kim did not always have an answer to Choi's probing questions. She had to think and decide before writing back. The English version became more than an update of the Korean original, it was its own, new thing. Kim's responses sometimes created new problems. How to lasso multiple perspectives and subjectivities into a single term. In Korean, she could get away with ambiguity, but, in English, the doer had to be named. For a couple of poems, Choi told me, the fix was an equation. In Girl, your body has so many holes for straws, the subject is I plus bird plus music, its actions include speaking, vomiting, and lying prostrate like a corpse, hiding at the bottom of a lake. In Straight Jacket, parentheses achieve the same clarification. Why does Apple, I, need to apologize to Apple, you, slash Apple, you, and Apple, I, our apologies, for what? These markings echo the playful, mathematical vocabulary of the Korean modernist poet Isang, also known as Kim Haekyun, whom Kim adores and pays tribute to in the book. One poem is titled, Again, I Need to Ask Poor Isang. In another, Yi's pathbreaking Crow's Eye View becomes Crow's Eye View 31. Thirteen birds keep flying up till they can't be seen from below. I want to keep writing ruthlessly about all thirteen birds. But that wouldn't be polite, for they've been endlessly patient. And it wouldn't be polite to Kim Haekyun either who wrote the same. Line. I don't understand what these phrases specifically mean. 
It's reassuring that Kim occasionally had to mull her own intentions. But they have an additive effect. There is no thematic break or stylistic rupture in Kim's poetry, despite the length of her career. The kitchen remains bloody and agonistic, demanding the preparation of yet another family meal. Knives and carcasses and dark orifices exist in otherworldly spaces. Moon is shining like the lens of the patient's eyeball slash and I'm sitting on the white of his eyes slash examining his sadness, she writes. Objects are extruded and sheathed. A pair of fishbone shoes you can slip onto bare feet. Spiky sprouts burrow through your teary eyes. Animals, real and mythological, fit inside one another, like turducken, a rat slash devours a sleeping white rabbit. A rat devours a piglet that has fallen into a pot of porridge. She captures the anger I detected in Seoul, which every woman has learned to gulp down. We are better off than we were when Kim started to write, no doubt. Yet we are still that rabbit, that punctured foot, that floating object compelled to reproduce. One day, Kim and I rode a village bus, the rickety public equivalent of a hyperlocal dollar van, up a steep incline to Gilsangsa, a Buddhist temple in Seoul. Gilsangsa is small and new and used to be a barbecue restaurant before coming to house an order of robed vegetarians. Kim and I walked the verdant grounds. We admired the low walls of ceramic tile and clay and circled a seven-tiered stone pagoda. Rain arrived, first in droplets, then in blocks, overwhelming our umbrellas. As we scampered downhill in muddy shoes, we were splashed by luxury s.u.v.s pulling up to gated houses. The area has long been home to chable executives and retired authoritarians. My Korean became more tentative in the din of the storm. I like your accent and the mistakes you make. You sometimes use the wrong word, she once told me. I was mortified, but convinced myself that it was actually a compliment, a poet taking pleasure in the jagged accidents of language. We last hung out in late September, when she and Choi did a reading at the Seoul International Writers' Festival. Kim spoke into a microphone as Choi's translations were blown up on a pink-tinted screen behind her. The poet Kim Hengsuk and several friends from the publishing world were there, as were Kim Hyesun's daughter and Choi's husband. All but two of us were women. During Korea's hashtag MeToo movement, there were so many accusations made and so many men who disappeared, Kim had told me that when you open a literary magazine today, everyone's a woman. Even the novelists. This felt very true. The writers winning awards, getting buzz, and getting translated were mostly women, and often quite young, a second generation influenced by Kim. I thought of Lee Soho, whose raw debut, Catcalling, was published in English, in 2021. I could imagine Kim dispensing the advice that appears in one of Lee's poems, you know I read a lot of debut collections these days. Listen, being a poet means going crazy. Kill all your literary heroes and jump over our dead bodies. Hang on the edge of poetry. Then take another step forward from there. Our post-festival group walked to a Japanese restaurant for dinner. We sat at a row of tables along a linguistic gradient, the native Korean speakers on one end, then Kim's daughter and Choi and me, then those who were English only. We clinked tiny cups of sake and shared donburi bowls of silken eggs, braised meat, and seafood over rice. Kim was the doyen of the festival, the mother of our feminine chatter. 
I remembered an old poem of hers, the story in which I appear as all the characters three. The speaker of the poem is a forty-year-old woman, a child not yet born, and an old woman, all of them Kim. The poem ends. We are stacked like three spoons. On top of a pillow. We turn our faces together. The forty-year-old me in the middle. Grinds her teeth saying. I'm scared I'm scared diamond suit.